I called up with Jeff Tennyson, CEO of Limo and Capital, to talk about crazy home price appreciation, home inventory and its impacts 2022 onward, and trekking gorillas in Rwanda for real. Jeff sent me a picture while he was over there. He was six feet away from a gorilla. That gorilla looked hungry. And Jeff was mighty close to Mr. Gorilla. You roll the dice on that one. We kicked off the episode reminiscing about some of our favorite podcasts of the year. I always enjoy swapping stories with Jeff, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate of Things podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Elliott. Jeff Tennyson, my guest this week. Thank you so much for joining. Dalton, thanks. It's great to uh, be with you live in the Real Estate of Things studios. And, you know, before we get too far into this, first of all, I just want to say thanks for doing such a terrific job leading this podcast. I think you launched it in September. And I have been so impressed with not only the guests you've selected to kind of talk about the real estate of things, but the content and message and learning and education that's been done by this. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that, Jeff. And you really hit the nail on the head. It's all about the guests. And I see myself as someone who just tries to bring out insights, uh, just tap into the brains of these amazing people. It, it can't do it without every guest every week. One's like Tiencia James, you know, just an incredible human being. And an episode I really enjoyed recording. Uh, it was our first time sitting down talking. She's an emergency medicine physician. She's a triathlete and she's a real estate investor. I don't know where all that time in the day comes from, but she manages to perform in all these buckets at an incredibly high level. And, and one thing that resonated with me from that episode uh, was her thoughts on dollars versus doors. She's gotten into the multifamily investing and in the multifamily space, so many people talk about, I want to get to X number of doors, you know, 500 doors, 1,000 doors. Her focus is really on dollars. She has an income target and that's all she focuses on. doesn't matter how many doors it takes to get there. It's like, how can I most efficiently get to this monthly income level? So that was, that, that was a great episode. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the ones that obviously the ones that stood out to me, Throughout the year, of course, people like my good friends, Gary Beasley, John Hornick, Leonard Rosen. You know, I just think I, I'm very respectful of the those guys. Really believe that the work that Leonard's done with the National Private Lenders Association is something that's been, that's not only been really helpful to private lenders across America already, but is continuing to add value from the work John Hornick does on the legislative side to the work others are doing. I know you're involved actually on the ethics committee and and trying to really create an environment for the private lender industry that we're no longer hard money lenders or no longer l- not respected in the mortgage platform. We're truly making a difference. You know, people like, you know, Chris Noppy, who is, you know, the opportunity zones that he's working. I mean, all so many of these people you know, John Curry at Citanta came to mind. The, the work they're doing in, in acquisition and development that will help create environments. And, and you know, it makes me think a lot about really what we're doing at Lima One Capital, where our mission statement is to improve neighborhoods across America so that families can live the American dream. And that's really what private lending is all about, is we're improving neighborhoods. Every single loan, every single project, 
every single opportunity that we had to do what we do as private lenders is improving neighborhoods. And those neighbors, as, those neighborhoods, as they get improved, are shared with families who particularly we just, you know, finished one of my favorite holidays is and and, and thanks in November is Thanksgiving. And, you know, when I sent the Thanksgiving message out to our employees a few weeks ago, I highlighted the fact that we should be proud as a company that the loans we make and the things we do are helping families sit down at tables that we create, help create those neighborhoods that create that family dream. And I think you've done a really good job with the real estate of things of highlighting the variety of things that are going on across the private lending industry. And, uh, you know, I hope we continue to find good ways to, to do that. Yeah, yeah, you you went down uh, uh, just a handful of the incredible guests and really excited about 2022, right? You mentioned that we started this podcast in September, so it's only a few months old and we are already knee deep in figuring out who's going to be on the podcast next year. So, so we're incredibly excited to continue to grow on the podcast side. Any hints you can get any teasers or hints you can give us for people to watch for? You get now you've got my interest. Well, I'll give you a couple that we have in the hopper. We're chatting with a lot of athletes are are on the docket for next year, right? So you think about, especially on the NFL side of the fence, we have started chatting with a couple of folks who used to be in the NFL. They got out and still relatively young, and a lot of them, you know, did well in the NFL. Uh, I think the league minimum is a couple hundred thousand bucks, even if you're on the practice squad. So you're you're making good money no matter where you are, and you know looking to the future. You know, I may be in my late 20s, early 30s, uh, got out, have some cash. What do I do now for the next few decades? And real estate investing is an incredibly attractive opportunity because they have that flexibility and they have some dry powder sitting around. So to be able to build up some good residual income. So that's a teaser of a, a bucket that we haven't had anyone on that side of the fence to date. But in 2022, we're going to have uh, a bunch of athletes cruising through. That's awesome. Well, I, I just again congratulations on on a terrific podcast series and 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 you've done a terrific job through 2021 and I know with the work that you and your team are doing we're just getting started. I mean, you know, I was looking uh, you and I were chatting about viewership yesterday if I think and you know, I mean, what many podcasts take 6 to 9 months to do, you've been able to pull together in in, in less than 3. So, I think that's just the the, the, the thing that what's to come and, you know, I encourage our listeners to keep listening to it. Our job, your job is to keep providing good content that is meaningful and entertaining and thoughtful. And the more we can be through the real estate of things that Lima One helps sponsor, thought leader for our industry and help our industry grow and develop. That's what we want to do. I love it. So let's let's dig into you a little bit. You're the guest. I get to, I get to pick you apart this week. So you let the cat out of the bag. You're you're the chief executive officer of Lima One Capital, uh, really the nation's premier lender for real estate investors. Lima One Capital lends nationwide, right across a wide product set, everything from rehabs and rentals to new construction and multifamily projects. And Lima One Capital is not your first rodeo, right? You have quite a mortgage industry pedigree. You have, at least to me, a literal lifetime worth of experience in the space. So walk me through the history of Jeff Tennyson. Well, you know, since you've told me we've got to keep this to close to 30 minutes, I'm not going to take too much time on that. But, you know, I'm, I'm originally, from, I grew up in Northwest Arkansas, so I'm a Razorback fan and, you know, real excited actually about the Razorbacks uh, 
football. We're finally actually playing a pretty decent football season. So that's kind of fun to watch. But and went to a small college in Arkansas, got an accounting degree, spent some time in public accounting, uh, got an MBA at Harvard Business School and spent some time in investment banking. And then, you know, I then I really wanted I got the entrepreneurial bug and and got a chance to do a subprime mortgage startup in 1997. And, you know, we grew it from roughly 50 employees to over 1,400, you know, 6.8 million was the production the first month I got there to the company. And uh, we grew that to, to almost 2 billion a month. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, we're working on 2021 budgets or 2022 budgets for Lima One and, you know, stuff that takes us a year to originate today. You know, we were doing it a month back in the, in the, in the go-go subprime days. So, that was really it was it was an incredible ride and an incredible learning experience to grow a culture and grow a company from 50 people to 1400 people be one of the top five subprime lenders in america it was incredibly horrifying and and depressing almost to see that fall apart through really some misguidance by an entire industry that did not respect or support some of the things that were ultimately put in place. And we'll, we'll talk about some of that later, but I learned a lot through that. I spent time in various sponsor, uh, startups and bank sponsored mortgage platforms after that. And then Blackstone was in the middle of creating invitation homes. And they recognized the primary reason these real estate investors were needing to sell their rental properties to invitation homes was there was no liquidity in the market. And Blackstone being smart people, people like John Gray and others at Blackstone were, were so you know thoughtful and visionary in what to do. They thought, wow, we need to help create a lender who would provide this liquidity to these people as they buy their property so they have more liquidity to spread around and asked me to start a company called B2R Finance. At that time, really the only competitor was a company called First Key, which no longer exists. And so then shortly thereafter, Beth O'Brien at Colony came in and Colony Finance was created. So, you know, we just came back from the single family rental IMN in Scottsdale. And, you know, in that early 2013 periods, there was only three of us on the panel about what was going on in single family rental. And that was the business purpose lending space. And today to see that today, B2R is now FOA Finance of America Commercial Colony is now Corvest. Uh, and then there's been a whole group of people who have been created from that. And as a result, I think what's exciting is we now truly have an industry that's developed from that. And actually, Goodmunder Christensen and I, I think, chatted about that a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, where it's now a, it's not just a trade any longer, it's an industry. And so I feel really, I'm really excited that my mortgage background was able to help me make a meaningful impact into a brand new industry that really didn't exist other than at the local hard money level. And so I was kind of finishing up a project for Clayton Holdings when John Warren, the founder of Lima One, reached out to me to be effectively the interim CEO while he ran for governor of South Carolina. It sounded like an interesting reason to kind of come off the sidelines and come off the beach and, and help do something for a friend. And so that's what got me to Lima One Capital. At the time, we had you know 60 employees we were doing about $20 million a month, primarily in fix and flip. And I bet I saw an amazing culture, a great opportunity to build something truly unique in the business purpose lending space. And, and so today, you know, Lima One's lending in 46 states uh, will originate 
you know, almost five, uh, almost $1.5 billion in loans in 2021. Uh, I was doing something today for someone uh, and that represents almost 5,000 loans that we've made into neighborhoods across America so that those neighborhoods can, can truly be improved, be different, and that families can truly live the American dream. So I'm really proud of what we've created at Lima One. I'm energized every morning, recognizing the purpose and values that we create for our industry. And I hope that all of our my private lender colleagues will recognize that and, and celebrate the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine the viewpoint you have of kind of watching the mortgage industry uh, and these couple of niche industries within over, you know, really the span of decades. Uh, I, I got into this space, my day job is at Lima One Capital. And uh, I, I got into this space in June 2015, right? And we were doing a couple million a month here when I got here. Just incredible growth between then and now. So, you know, trying to stretch my mind back to kind of 90, late 90s, early 2000s, it's just been a wild ride for my short period. And, and hearing everything over the years from your perspective, just all the more crazy. And a beautiful thing is that, you know, we're not finished, right? I know a big part, you mentioned the 2021 production, you know, a big part is 2022 production. And that number is bigger than 2021, right? And just keeps on going up and up. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We we just came off our executive leaders offsite to really plan for 2022. And, you know, we're beginning to look at 2023, 2024. We've even got really long-term vision. What does 2034 look like? And while, you know, that's not really clear, there's, that's a really blurry, you know, what is it going to take to have the, the infrastructure and opportunities that that creates? And we think, you know, I, I think that, that the message that delivers not only to our people for stability and growth, but to our industry, because we do think there's a lot of opportunities ahead in our industry that, that private lenders, business purpose lending, whatever we want to call it, have a really key role, role to play and a great opportunity. So, so on that a little bit. You know, I was born into the building boom of the 90s and then that moved into the early 2000s. Then you had the great recession hit, housing crashed. Now we've been on really a decade long tear. Even with COVID being thrown into the mix, American housing has remained incredibly strong. It's a pretty wild ride over the last few decades. But how would you describe the optimal healthy American housing market? Like think Think as if you were explaining it to a cast of kindergarten students. I know we're, we're such a jargon-laden industry. Is there such a thing as kind of a, a realistically achievable optimal housing market, or is it just always kind of a roller coaster? Well, I think that's, a, you know, if you look at the historical statistics, you could not conclude anything other than there's going to be a consistent volatility in the housing, particularly the mortgage market. And primarily, that's so much rate driven. And and I think, you know, part of the stuff that we're seeing today is a direct result of the Fed's involvement and and all the things that that, you know, that they have put money into the system. They've kept interest rates low. And as a result, people have been able to take advantage of that through housing. I think the other thing to keep in mind of the pandemic and the, the recession and the reason we went through a quick recession and are coming out really quickly is it wasn't a housing issue. It was truly a social issue from the pandemic. And in many ways, I talked earlier about the subprime industry and what we learned from that. While those of us in the in the mortgage industry 
were very concerned that we would be overregulated with many of the things that came out as a result of that. I would argue many of those things that they did put in place, tighter RESPA rules, tighter tiller rules, uh, ability to repay, you know, all the different things that they, they better disclosures, all the things that help make that market more credible and transparent, helped avoid the situations we saw in the subprime collapse that did hurt because we see when when customers overspend on housing and over leverage on housing, it will eventually cycle out and you really have to cycle through the downtime just like you do had the things in the uptime. I mean, where we are today, I don't know if you can ever have a perfectly healthy housing market, but I do think we have a healthy housing market today. And that's driven by a couple of things. Of course, there's certain pockets that's got home price appreciation a bit out of control. California comes to mind, uh, certain areas of Florida, primarily the leisure areas, beach homes, second homes, those kind of things seem to be way out of out of line. Those will regulate themselves through supply and demand. I think the pandemic has moved people out of some of those high rent districts, for lack of a better description, into more reasonable areas for housing prices. And that's caused that's those to increase in meaningful ways as well. But, you know, inventory continues to be a challenge for us at Lima One. One of the biggest barriers to our people to having more successful projects is finding inventory to rehab, to rent, to do all the things that go in that. So until, you know, an inventory is still, you know, a kind of a four month and we, you know, historically, a healthy housing market would say housing inventory is closer to a six, seven month range. And so we still have some work to do there. But, you know, I think we've got a healthy economy. We've got uh, good opportunities. Interestingly, I just read a stat from Redfin yesterday that said, you know, 18 percent of all the home purchases in the Q th- in quarter three were from real estate investors. So I think the real estate investor market helps to continue balance, which not just people wanting to occupy the homes living in it, but real estate investors, because of the work the private lenders have done to allow that liquidity, are another buyer of those homes to keep things more stable and uh, more active. Yeah, I, I was cruising through Redfin too and saw an article about uh, and something you mentioned, uh, really home price appreciation pushing people to more affordable cities. Just because home prices have been on a nationwide tear for the last 18 months, call it. So it's a relatively long feature and it's nationwide. So you have home price appreciation pushing. And then they also talked a little bit about kind of major adverse weather events. You know, every hurricane season seems to be a new record hurricane season, which I grew up on the coast, coast of South Carolina, and, and very familiar with the workings of hurricanes coming and going. And I don't think I would live on the coast again, being 28 years old. I don't know if I'm, I'm terribly bullish personally on having a primary residence that's that's pretty close to the water. So, so what impact do you think that has on it? And do you think that this push to more affordable cities is... Is this kind of a permanent fixture where you're just going to have a real population shift out of your coastal areas? And I think it's way too early to raise the victory flag outside of the primary industry markets. You know, the New Yorks, the Dallas, the Miami, the San Francisco's, the L.A.'s, you know, Chicago's. I mean, those primary cities in America that I think they're going to continue to have really continue to have strong activities. However, I think what's 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 will change is 
I think we are demonstrating. And, you know, I was reading a, an article from McKinsey uh, today about, you know, what CEOs are talking about with people coming back to the office and, you know, and, and the remote work and the impact of that. And I think more and more CEOs that I talk to and interact with are saying, you know, we're going to need to get our people back into the office in some way and flexibility. So now all of a sudden, unless you see these corporate offices relocating their headquarters to some of these cities, people eventually are going to have to get back into and be able to get to these places on a routine basis. And so perhaps for people like us, that means, you know, short-term rentals, short-term rental business and other kind of things are going to be really opportunistic because people are going to need to be there for two or three days a week to two or three days a month. And that's going to create some in those markets. At Lima One, we've always focused on what we call the second and third tier markets. We think those are just great, basic, great places to live, great quality of life, balanced values. So you typically don't have huge spikes and huge declines like you have in some of these Florida, California, Northeastern markets. And so we think that will be because now people actually, there is going to be a group of people that can work remote forever. And I think they're going to choose to have quality of life and living. The, the, the lifestyle is going to be more important than living in a major city, particularly as the millennials have families and grow and want to be more, spend more time with their families. They're going to want to live a little more differently than an hour and a half commute from Manhattan out to New Jersey. Yeah, that makes sense. One more question tied onto this. During COVID, with, with housing being on fire, my wife and I heard a lot of friends and coworkers who were ready to go on the house hunt and got into the crazy bidding wars. Right? I went to go see this house on a Sunday. There, It was the first day of showing. There were 50 other people there and 10 offers got put in within the first half hour and offers going above ask. My guess is that so many people settled on their home purchase. Like this is not my dream home, but it's the closest thing that was available that I could buy. Do you think that there's going to be kind of an influx of homes hitting the market 2022, 2023 of people who just got into homes and are like, I'm ready to get out of this house because I don't love it. I like it. And it was just a place that was available. I think inventory is going to play a big role in that. I think two things are going to play a role. One is inventory. Can I? And then many of many of these folks found houses in areas they wanted to live in. It was close to work. It was close to family. And so I think those emotional and social ties are going to prevent them from just saying, oh, well, we're going to go to our dream house, but it's, you know, 20, 30 minutes away. We picked this for a reason. We'll probably adjust to it. So I, I think it'll have some impact, but the key is inventory. And then the key is what is my work going to require me to do? Because I think the other thing we saw through this is people bought larger homes than they would have bought two years ago because they need an office for one or both of them to work in because they're working from home and they need space to do that. And so I think, you know, we may see an, an increase, you know, it'd be interesting Maybe that's a good real estate of things podcast option is to get a builder, a national builder in to see what's the what's the trends on the on the on the on what you guys see going out with home sizes and and what's going on. Because I think that perhaps we're going to be seeing people looking for, you know, we kind of had a smaller downsizing after the after the housing crisis. 
we may end up having right. people getting bigger homes because they need more space. That makes sense. I, you know, I think about the home I live in. We bought it five years ago, and it's geared for our anticipated life, right? But if if my wife and I both started to work at home and with a ninety five pound dog, then that changes the dynamic a little bit. So it seems like the remote work play is going to continue to kind of affect housing much beyond where we are today. Can I ask you a couple of of fun, quirky questions? Get to know Jeff a little bit more. Sure. Have at it. All right. Sports. Let's start with that. We, uh, you know, kind of football season going on. Shout out to the Dallas Cowboys. Hope and a prayer as always. What did you, did you play any sports in school, Jeff? Very poorly. But I, I, I was, I grew up in this small. I mean, you know, I had forty-three people in my graduating class in this public high school, so we couldn't even have enough. It didn't have enough students to field a football team. So the only sports we had were baseball and basketball. I tried to play both. I was, I, I spent way too much time on the bench, even in that small environment doing so. So actually, ended up realizing, you know. This I'm just not any good at these basic sports skills, and I'd be better off leading the team. And so I became the the manager, the equipment manager of the basketball team uh, my freshman year of high school. And by my senior year, I was the assistant coach because, I mean, I knew all the players and was able to kind of – so it was funny. I look back on that, and some of the leadership and things I'm doing today were there as well because – it's just leadership just always been a real passion of mine. And to look back and see that I even did it in high school is, is kind of fun to think about. There you go. So that, that's kind of your professional sport, leadership from high school through to today. So it's, uh, it's worked out well. If, if you could, if you could get paid, I don't know, if, I, if the real estate of things is like, Jeff, we're going to sponsor you, we'll pay you 20 million bucks a year and you can play any professional sport, what would it be? Would it be golf? Is that that's my guess for you? Yeah, no, it would definitely be golf. I love being outside. I love the beauty of a golf course, and it would absolutely be golf. Me and you know, hang out with Rory and Tiger and and all those guys, and they, you know, I teach them leadership. That makes sense. I uh, Formula One is mine. I get get paid to drive car two hundred miles an hour. All your events are in just wonderful world-class cities all over the place. You Monaco, Austin, Texas, Mexico City. That seems like a fun one. Well, you know, that's that's I'll plug I'll plug our headquarters city in Greenville, South Carolina, BMW Driving Performance Center. Anybody, you know, anybody listening to the real estate of things, I encourage you to take a look at the BMW driving experience at Spartanburg, South Carolina. We'll, uh, we won't pay for the driving experience at Lima One, but we'll host you in our office and, and let you meet Dalton Elliott, and uh, maybe he can give you a quick shout out on the real estate of things. I love it. That, that, is, that is a fun experience. Tabby, my then girlfriend, now wife, got that for me freshman year of college. Had no clue, went and did the factory tour and then driving on the track for was like an hour and a half after. And just an incredible facility that we have up here in Greenville. Uh, any, what They make all of the X3s and X5s, I think in the world, all of them are made in Greenville, right? All of the X-series. So all the SUV X series three through seven, I think they have now all are mating in this in the Greenville plant. It's fascinating, and plant tours are worth a visit. Yeah, for sure. 
I have, I have one more question and we'll let you off the hook. All right. You get exiled like Napoleon, right? They're like, get out of here. You can't live in the U.S. anymore. We take your passport away, but we'll give you another passport anywhere you want. What, what country other than the U.S., if you had to pick, where would you live? Where would you set up shop? You know, if you had asked me this two months ago, it would easily be Santorini, Greece. It is just the most beautiful, peaceful to look at the, the agency and all the things that you see there. I mean, the pictures you see of the white buildings and the, and the, and the blues is exactly what it's like. It's just such a, however, I just came back from Rwanda and it was such a beautiful country. I might actually move to Rwanda and find a way to own a coffee plantation there and build, do, co- do a Rwandan coffee and, and uh, ship it to the U.S. I would buy that coffee in a heartbeat. Only you got to put your face on the packaging. I like it. And I, I got a picture from you while you were over there of you standing, look like six feet away from a gorilla that was probably 12 times your size. I don't know. He was looking at you a, a little hungrily. You, you'll need to watch your back if you set up shop over there. Yeah, it was, you know, we just, my wife and I just came back from a trip there a couple months ago now and Trucking gorillas in Rwanda is an experience of a lifetime. So I would, you know, the one, the one free get, the one free uh, advice I, item today on the real estate of things. Yeah, good thing you've got to listen to the whole thing to get this last little nugget. Right, is uh, take a trip to Rwanda. It's an amazingly beautiful country, and spending an hour observing gorillas in the wild is one of the most exciting outside adventures uh, we've ever done. I love it. Beautiful note to end on. Jeff Tennyson of Lima One Capital. Thank you so much for carving out some time to chat with me. Dalton, thank you. Thanks for for giving us a, a really great blessing with the uh, real estate of things this year. And, you know, happy holidays to you and Tabby and your family. And, you know, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to all of our listeners across the, the world. You know, I'm so excited about 2022 and what's going on. We've got some really messy things going on externally in our country, in the United States, but I really do believe, you know, the best is so much yet to come uh, with the opportunities in the private lending space. And, and, you know, I can assure you and everybody listening that Lima One Capital will be a big part of that. So thanks for allowing that. Thanks for allowing me the time on the show and we'll look forward to listening to great things coming in 2022. I love it. Thank you. And and to everyone listening, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, me on this journey. You know, we're winding down for the year and look forward to hitting the ground running in 2022 with a jam-packed list of guests. So thanks again for listening and hope you enjoy ringing in the new year. Take care. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable, common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. 
Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.